I was living the dream of every young, not even a trans person, someone who's from out of nowhere in the Philippines in the little alley to be in New York City and working as a fashion model. Like I was doing it. And those glimpses, as I said, is punctured by that constant layer of loneliness that like that my inner truth could not be fully be accepted here. This is It's Okay That You're Not Okay. And I'm your host, Megan Devine. This week on the show, author, model, and trans rights advocate Gina Rosero on what it means to be visible and why all of us need to decide for ourselves when it's safe enough to be seen. Settle in, everybody. A complex, nuanced, fascinating conversation coming up right after this first break. Spectrum One is a big deal. You get Spectrum Internet with the most reliable internet speeds, free advanced Wi-Fi for enhanced security and privacy, and a free Spectrum Mobile Unlimited line with nationwide 5G included, all while saving big. For the big speed, big reliability, and big savings you want, get Spectrum One. Just $49.99 a month for 12 months. Visit spectrum.com slash big deal for full details. Offer subject to change. Valid for qualified residential customers only. Service not available in all areas. Restrictions apply. Like many of us, you might think identity theft will never happen to you. But consider this. There's a new identity theft victim every three seconds in the U.S. That's over 15 million people by the end of this year, equal to the populations of New York, Los Angeles, and Chicago combined. Even worse, identity theft victims often don't even know they're victims. That's why LifeLock Identity Theft Protection alerts you to identity threats, even the ones that don't show up on a credit report, like data breaches, fraudulent bank transactions, loan and credit card applications, and crimes committed in your name. If your identity is stolen, your own dedicated LifeLock U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. LifeLock protects you in ways that you simply can't on your own. Join now and save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash iHeart. That's LifeLock.com slash iHeart to save up to 25%. Identity theft protection starts here. Trinity School of Natural Health can help you be part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry. With an education that empowers communities, Trinity grads can change lives by applying natural health principles and techniques in holistic practices or stores selling nourishing health products. Offering 19 online programs that fit your busy schedule, you'll get training to help turn your passion into a career. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. Before we get started, one quick note. While we cover a lot of emotional, relational territory in each and every episode, this show is not a substitute for skilled support with a licensed mental health provider or for professional supervision related to your work. Hey friends, I'm so excited for today's show. It has got everything. It's got history, it's got culture, it's got fashion, it's got drama, it's got social commentary, something for everyone. Gina Rosero is a Filipina-American model, speaker, and trans rights advocate. Gina found amazing success as a model. At the same time, most of the world, including her colleagues and her modeling manager, were unaware that she's transgender. Her 2014 TED Talk, Why I Must Come Out, has been viewed over 3.7 million times, and you're going to hear the story of that main stage event during our conversation together. Gina has spoken at the White House and the United Nations. She's been featured on CNN and in Glamour and Cosmo and Vanity Fair and Variety. And she's the author of the new book, Horse Barbie, named one of the best memoirs of 2023 by Elle magazine. Gina has done so much for both Filipina representation and for trans visibility in the U.S. and in her native Philippines. Now, in today's show... We take a fascinating dive into the history of gender in the Philippines and how that relates to that visibility-invisibility continuum we navigate in so many different ways throughout our lives. That visibility-invisibility continuum thing, that is not just for trans and non-binary folks. Everybody has parts of themselves they hold back. 
We all have parts of ourselves we decide to share or not share depending on the situation at hand. It's a question that many of us wrestle with. When is it safe to be who you are and when is it safer to hide that truth? Each choice has its costs and each choice has its benefits and you're gonna hear all about that in today's show. And this is a wide ranging conversation also touching on the ways we celebrate and sometimes fetishize certain people in specific settings and then bully them or otherwise subject those same people to violence once they're off stage. We also touch on family systems and how to support, protect, and encourage the people you love. We explore immigration and advocacy and power. I mean, I told you that this episode has it all. Fashion, intrigue, history, culture, drama, and it's got a deep, honest, real conversation about what it means to be visible in a world that doesn't always want you to exist. Let's get to it, friends, with the excellent Gina Rosero. Gina, I am so glad to have you here with me today. I've literally spent the, like the last three days swimming in your world with your book and your talks and like all of the things that you're up to. So I'm, I'm like, I always feel like we've hung out. I've hung out with my guests before I actually meet you. So I'm, I'm glad to have you here in video person. Thank you for having me. I'm excited for this convo. As I said, I have been like in deep dive with, with you and your, your work and your story. So there are lots of places that we could begin our conversation, mm-hmm. but there's a theme that came up for me again and again, as I read your book and I listened to you speak, there's almost this like call and response that weaves through your life of the, the power of both seeing and being seen. I imagine this like sight glass or this, you know, like this set of binoculars, but like that shift back and forth between the seer and the seen and the power and the vulnerability in both. Does that feel accurate? Yeah, I think, um, I mean, just tracing back, you know, my life. I mean, I mean, writing this book, certainly it's, it's my way to just reconnect in that journey. You know, I've always been, you know, as I've finished writing this book, I, I just definitely recognize that I'm in that quest of of finding my place in, in in the world, finding my place in the cultural context, emotional context where I'm at. Um, but certainly that that changes, and not just my own quest in finding that, but certainly how that immediate surrounding responds to who I am in that moment in my life. So yeah, I'm always in constant dynamic. Not necessarily in conversation, but um, more so there's always a reflection of where I'm at in, in my life and, you know, in the chapters and in the life story that I shared. Mm. You write about, you know, being a child and being really seen by your mom mm-hmm. as who you are and sort of this really, I think, I think those two twin things, right? Like the, the cultural and spiritual backdrop of the Philippines where gender fluidity is culturally accepted and then pairing that with really being seen by your mom for who you are. Mm-hmm. It's like that in- initial being seen is the foundation of what what else became possible. You know, I was just in DC and mm-hmm. I did a couple of engagements there and there's a woman that, I mean, I'm Filipino, so we have so many communities in so many different places. I felt absolutely welcome. So after all my engagements, we had a, a dinner party, get together and karaoke. And there was a woman there who was a Filipina and she has trans kids. And she came up to me and I just want to acknowledge that like, obviously she's very emotional, especially in this moment, what we're seeing right now. There was a moment when we're having conversation she felt like, now, it, this is the least that I could do, which is to be there for my kids. And I have to sort of ground her in saying that this is not the least that you could do. This is as what you're saying. This is the foundation of who I am. I'm able to have that vision, have a sense of freedom, have a sense of joy, have a sense of playfulness, because I was grounded by my family, my mom, my, my dad, who was very supportive. In spite of, you know, the immediate surroundings that they have, which is the contradictions of a very conservative, strict Catholic culture in the Philippines. So, you know, taking from what you said to that particular interaction that they had, it is truly the foundation of who I am, you know, that love that my my parents uh, shared with me. I almost feel like it's it's a protective force 
in a way. I mean, you literally write about that in the book when you're writing about your mom. You were bullied by kids Mm -hmm. and actually by adults as well. But you write that not only did your mom's love protect you, but your community's love for your mother also protected you. Can you tell us about that? Growing up in the Philippines, it's a it's a very it's all about the community. Moving to America and understanding this thing called individualism was so freaking weird to me. Uh, in the Philippines, you don't exist as an individual. You know, I, I have been sharing. I think it's so important to really truly acknowledge that. I'd like to think that I'm very grateful that I never lost that sense of community. And what I mean by that. Community for us is very ingrained in our soul and in our spirit. We have this word called Papua in the Philippines, which is basically uh, your inner self is always shared with others. And through that sharing, you're always a reflection of whoever you're surrounded with. And with that, because my mom is well-loved, not just obviously love, we love her. Our immediate neighborhood loves her, her, you know, her as a teacher in you know, elementary school for 23 years. Everyone loved her. That carried a certain security, certain comfort, certain integrity. And I was protected by that because anything outside of my family, you know, I, I hear the bullying. I, I get chased. I got, you know, teased. I got taunt. I got, you know, adults you know, would call me names. It's so fascinating and horrifying, right? You write that in the Philippines, gender fluidity is culturally accepted, but not politically protected. As I was reading that, I was thinking about, you know, in India, like the reverence of female deity, but Mm -hmm. also the subjugation and and violence against women, right? Like these twin things that show up so much, like this veneration of the ethereal female and the desecration of the carnal female. Like, what is up with that? (laughs) I mean, that's a whole season in itself. I mean, that's that we could like deconstruct that. But particularly in the Philippines, let me make some correction. Is yeah, I wouldn't say it's culturally accepted. It's a big word. Acceptance is a big word for me to to. I think certainly in the context in the Philippines, it's culturally visible. Okay, but not politically recognized. And. Let me also just say, you know, because I was born and raised in the Philippines, half of my life in the Philippines, half here. In many of my conversations, I I always have to, not always have to, but I I need to be aware of that context of where that perspective is situated. And in my conversations, I always say that, okay, sometimes I operate with this context because I really have that global perspective. As I shared that in my book, as I shared that story, this very big as we talked about this force of some might say duality, some might say contradiction. For us, it's not a contradiction. It's it's an amalgamation of forces, you know? From a Western American lens, you know, we might have this critical analysis, and I do have now, obviously. But growing up in the Philippines, it's just part of this mishmash of, of so many forces that had led to where we are now. And and then obviously we're speaking about this very vibrant transgender beauty pageants culture that we have in the Philippines that is part of mainstream culture. And, you know, it's so embedded in our culture as we talked about, like gender fluidity. There's, we have so many different dialects, but there's so many words for the role of trans people played in pre-colonial Philippines. I mean, we have the word called babaylan, which are, which are the spiritual leaders. I have a tattoo. Uh, this is a pre-colonial script in the Philippines Four characters is la kapati. La kapati is a gender fluid. Let's just say the word trans, goddess of fertility, goddess of harvest. You know, like before we were colonized by Spain, we were an animist culture, so we prayed to trans deities. You know, for harvest. Uh, so you have that baseline of a culture that is well documented. It is in our very language. Tagalog, as many of uh, the dialects, we have hundred something dialects in the Philippines around that range. And um, it's gender neutral. We don't have he or she because in pre-colonial Philippines, your role in society is not determined by your gender. It's an egalitarian culture. It's the role in, in your immediate community, in your immediate society or kingdoms is determined by what you offer, but 
you know, your the specific role that you want to play at and having that choice. You know, and then obviously when 1521 came, we were a Spanish colony for 333 years and thus the introduction of, you know, Abrahamic patriarchal approach to existence. You know, the introduction of, you know, Catholic calendar. Um, and then we switched from animism to, you know, obviously animism in touch with uh, nature's spirituality to uh, dogmatic Catholicism. And that we have this thing called fiesta celebration, right? We celebrate, you know, different saints, Catholic patrons all over the Philippines throughout the year. And then 1898, you know, Spanish-American war, we were purchased by America for 20 million from Spain. And then when we were a colony of America for 50 years, our colonizer would put on this pageant called, called Carnival Queen and the winner would sort of become like this bridge of that friendship, become almost like a beauty ambassador. So you have those influences. And what we have now is an amalgamation of all those forces. That's why we have this very vibrant tradition of beauty pageant culture, you know, that is so part of mainstream culture. But also because, and then when I say about like, we're not politically recognized, what I specifically mean by that is on our legal documents, to still to this day, you can't change name and gender marker on your legal documents as a trans person in the Philippines because our systems of government but what we have now is, is an American system and an American system that lives on understanding of gender as a binary, there won't be a space for that. And it's also important to point out that, you know, in the Philippines, a long, long history of, of LGBTQ queer activism. So the fight to, for trans people to, to be who we are is a long battle. I think those kind of encapsulate so much, but I think it clearly traces why we have that right now, you know, that, that vibrancy of, of trans beauty pageant culture and how it exists in, you know, yes, contradictory, yes, sort of incomplete way of seeing trans people as full citizens in the country. One of the things I think of as you describe all of that, like all of those different forces I can't remember exactly what you said in there, but it made me think of like some of the sort of homophobic pushback against Pride Month. You and I are, are recording this conversation during Pride Month is like, why do we have to know about your gender, right? Like something you said in what you were talking about was like, this didn't used to be a quote unquote issue. It used to be an understood reality yeah. that gender is fluid and this is just how it is, right? And it were structures that came in and sort of, again, I'm doing air quotes here for everybody, yeah. like made an issue of gender. And sometimes that pushback around trans rights or queer rights, or even honestly, women's rights, is like, why do we have to know about your gender? And it's because violence and political acts and exclusion is based on gender that's why you have to know about my gender. Do you know what I mean? Like, I'm not describing this as well as it like came up in my head when you mentioned it, but there there really is something about like, I know that pushback. I've heard that pushback doing this work of like, it's the same thing that we say about sort of lip service to the queer community is like, I don't care who you love. I just want to stop hearing about it, right? And that's a lot of pushback against trans rights and trans activism is like, I don't care what you quote unquote think you are. Why do I have to hear about it? You alluded to it, how it's connected to obviously how feminism and women's rights are also connected to way. Let's also acknowledge that this is a country based in like, you know, anything for, in proximity to white patriarchy is the systems of thought, the systems of spirit of this country. And I think the reason why we could say that that's not even the using the term intersectionality, but just it just is because anything outside the systems of thought of white American patriarchy is something to be attacked, is something to be uh, not, you know, to accept or not have that immediate freedom that, that, that it should be afforded. Because with what we just went through as a, as a, as a, as a population in, in this world, you know, the, the pandemic, the supposed racial reckoning, we even haven't gone to unpacking like anti-Asian hate, you know, you would think that really we are beginning to unpack all of that. But again, unfortunately, over and over again, we're going back to the same thing. Not until 
this supposed idea, promise of a culture and a country that offers freedom, unless we don't really always talk about like the history of that foundation of that freedom, that idea of that freedom that was not, if you're not a white man, you're not part of that. And we're still there. We're still having that conversation because how do we unpack that? I mean, yes, we could have conversations. And I'm saying that in this bigger approach, you know, because it's that's the ground base of everything, this, you know, of, of what we're, you know, fighting against. It's this idea that, like, we have to have these conversations because violence is now violence is happening exclusion is happening like we're we're continuing that path like we would love to be able to stop having conversations about trauma and pain and violence like mm-hmm. <laughs> we would love to stop having those conversations but we can't stop having those conversations until things change right like the way to stop hearing quote unquote conversations about gender is to make the world a safer and more equitable and welcoming place like that's how you have to stop having to hear about it Spectrum One is a big deal. You get Spectrum Internet with the most reliable internet speeds, free advanced Wi-Fi for enhanced security and privacy, and a free Spectrum Mobile Unlimited line with nationwide 5G included, all while saving big. For the big speed, big reliability, and big savings you want, get Spectrum One. Just $49.99 a month for 12 months. Visit spectrum.com slash big deal for full details. Offer subject to change. Valid for qualified residential customers only. Service not available in all areas. Restrictions apply. Trinity School of Natural Health can help you be part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry. With an education that empowers communities, Trinity grads can change lives by applying natural health principles and techniques in holistic practices or stores selling nourishing health products. Offering 19 online programs that fit your busy schedule, you'll get training to help turn your passion into a career. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. Hi, I'm Cindy Crawford, and I'm the founder of Meaningful Beauty. When Dr. Sabah and I decided to do a skincare line together, he said to me, we are going to give women meaningful beauty. And I said, that's exactly right. We want to give women meaningful beauty, which means each and every product is meaningful. It has a, a reason to exist. It's efficacious. You're going to get results. And then you just go out and live your life. Meaningful beauty. Confidence is beautiful. Learn more at MeaningfulBeauty.com. Before we get back to my conversation with Gina Rosero, do you work with grieving people? I mean, at this point, everybody is grieving something. So if you work with humans in any capacity, you do actually work with grief. And if you work with the queer or trans communities, grief is absolutely everywhere. If you want to know how to be truly helpful to people grieving any kind of loss, spots are still available in my six-month grief care intensive. There's a unit on grief and social change, which includes many of the topics explored in this episode today. There's a unit on working with special populations, which includes those in the queer and trans communities. This six-month training is designed for people in the helping professions, but you don't have to be a therapist to join. This session begins on September 4th, 2023, so if you are listening to this episode later or you can't start with us in September, check back. The plan is to run this training once a year or so. All of the information is at the registration link in the show notes. You can also find it in my Instagram bio at Refuge in Grief. All right, let's get back to my conversation with Gina Rosero. Something that comes up for me, you know, we, I started out with a question about seeing and being seen and there's a there's scene spelled with it s c there's a scene early in your book where you you're talking about bullying in your childhood and you come home and you look in the mirror mm-hmm. and ask yourself like why is my femininity femininity such a threat right and it's that people seeing you who you are as a threat I think our un- our inability to recognize that we have an emotional response to somebody else, that that is our stuff <laughs> and not their stuff, right? I think especially young trans people mm. is acutely aware of this at such a young age, you know, and because 
you just know, you just know your truth at that young age. And I'm not really just saying that, I like to preach out, like people know, oh, oh, we do know. And what prevents us from pursuing the thing that we know is anything outside our heads from our parents to our cousins, to our immediate community, to our surroundings, to schools, anything that's like outside of that early processes of recognizing our own truth and the people outside of that that doesn't recognize that, that, that becomes a problem. But we know at, at, at a young age, you know, I mean, the science back this, this is not a debate. This has been proven over and over. And it's the product of the culture that doesn't allow for that. Even in, in, in a culture in the Philippines where you have that very vibrant trans beauty pageant culture, still not enough, you know? So imagine here in America when you actually don't see it. Like in an American context, when a young trans kid, you know, express anything outside where you're supposed, you know, uh, assign gender, you are going to be made fun of, you're going to get attacked. You're, and unfortunately, that's what we're seeing right now in supposed mature people or evolved sure. people, but not, you know? Yeah. I remember reading that you said your your first exposure to a trans person when you got to the U.S. was on the Jerry Springer show. Mm. Oh. Yeah. Yeah, I've been thinking about this. Just, just in a way, trace the initial conversation that we're having is that in the Philippines, trans people are culturally visible, but not politically recognized. So when I moved to America at 17 years old to be with my mom after being separated for five years and moving here as a 17 year old who has had this incredible career as a trans pageant diva in the Philippines, right? I was at the pinnacle of my career. And when she told me that I could move here because I could be legally recognized as a woman on my gender marker, I moved here. And as a 17 year old coming from a culture of being a trans pageant diva to yes, moving here and I see the F on my gender marker and make me so happy. And it's as if my mom spoke magic to me and she made she granted my wish. But when I asked her, so where are the trans pageants? She was like, there's no such thing here. So that was the beginning of the shock. But then because my my reference of of trans people that I saw on TV in the Philippines. I'm not saying it's all perfect, but I'm saying like my reference is trans pageant that's shown on TV in the Philippines. So when I saw on TV, my first trans representation was at on Jerry Springer. It was a shock. Now I know it, that was the beginning of shame of who I am. And whether I didn't have the words at the time, I felt it. I remember gagging, looking at it, not just like, what had happened, but also the way it happened. I mean, he recently passed too. And I remember there's so many conversations of line, a line of so many trans women that part of that, meaning they've been on Jerry Springer, and not just Jerry Springer, there's a lot of different shows that were doing that. It was mix of, you know, sense of healing, sense of being re-triggered about that, that experience in that very specific point in, in our culture. But there's also this other side, like in the moment, that's the only way truly for them to have a space where they could dress up. Some of them I've heard they got paid, thank God. But also there's, as you said, there's this being seen and how you're seen. But more so, I just didn't know what was going to happen, but I could feel what's about to happen even before I saw it happening. You know, the way he would butter up, you know, the situation to like, and then the shock. Because I've been thinking about this so much as my point of reference, that is the personification of how America sees gender. And not just specifically talking about transgender identity, but gender as a whole, which is if it's not from the lens of an older white man who has the mic, who is an executive producer, has the power to command what's being done, you're a freak. You're not Mm -hmm. going to be given access to your full humanity. Yeah, I mean, that, that freak label is what we give to anyone who brings up feelings in us mm-hmm. that we don't know how to handle, that are uncomfortable for us, that we don't have a space for. Like the only way to deal with the emotions that come up for you when you see someone who is different than you is to otherize, is to make them wrong, right? And then weaponize that. Yeah. I'm out there and talking about the book. Um mm-hmm. 
I work a lot with trans youth, obviously. I'm, I, they're always in my mind, especially with what's happening now. There's the other side of that conversation too. I mean, like you, you know, you're alluding to it in, in a way um, about, I know now as someone who has gone through my own journey of unpacking my own shame, of barely surviving because of that shame, surviving meaning, you know, feeling a sense of a life well lived, you know. I do know this now and I, I speak about it a lot and I want to always continuously share that with uh, especially young trans kids is that we have the power. This reaction of what we're seeing now and through the lens of someone who's not quote unquote accept, accepting of, of trans people and gender nonconformity, I'd say people are very afraid of looking at themselves. You know, what we do and and who we are and how all trans people and gender nonconforming people, including the ground base of the history that we talked about earlier and the history of the world in pre-colonial times, we've always had that role. But because the people don't want to accept that, their only reaction is to ignore it, put that aside, attack it, and do whatever it takes for it to not come up because they're so afraid to look within themselves. We're all a product of the patriarchal colonial model, right? And your fears and discomfort when you look at anyone you've decided is outside of you and outside of okayness, like that is that is a function of colonialism. That is a function of binary thought. That is not how humans work. Right? But we it's just not we part don't of nature. <laughs> it's not. It truly, truly is not. Right? Like gender is a human construct. Okay, that's a whole different conversation. But like this for me, this comes back to a grief issue, right? Like that we don't talk about the ways to grieve our inheritance. We don't talk about the ways to identify the disservice to self and disservice to soul. Mm-hmm. That being a, a citizen of this world gives us yeah let me also just say i'm like i'm Mm. I'm speaking about it now i I just want to acknowledge that i myself have gone through my own journey to get to this thought process a very difficult task you know and of of unpacking so much of my own colonial understanding of i get systems of thought understanding understanding of beauty colorism you know who's supposed to be someone I should um, I should adhere when it comes to my faith. It's process and a process that's is so different for, for everybody. But as someone who's gone through it, I hope people will find a way in that beginning because in as much as it will be difficult to go through that process, it's freedom really truly on the other side. Freedom to keep going, the freedom to still find other things, but certainly this long rigid understanding in Western ideals of rigid binary, look where we are right now. We know yeah. it's look what a look what a binary has given us. <laughs> and it, I love that you keep coming back to whenever I point out, you know, haters gonna hate because they've got their own pain. Basically, you reply to that with, "I had my own process." I think even what I just said, there was some unintentional binary thinking in what I just said, which was, you know, this side who hates is incorrect and they need to look at like, and, and you know, I'm telling you, <laughs> the, the tentacles of binary thought run run deep, um, even when you're trying to pay attention to them. And one of the things that I want to bring in here, talking about your own process and your own journey, that concept of seeing and being seen was a big thing for me, but also the shifting sense of what safety means. And mm. I think safety is an important thing to bring in now while we're talking about your own process and the reality on the ground, right? Like coming to the United States, you could change your gender marker so that you could have at least political protection, mm-hmm. right? But you couldn't have cultural visibility. So there's a swap of safeties there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, And then another swap of safety when you, and you go into this in great detail in the book, so read the book, everybody, another swap of safety when you made a decision to sort of disclose your trans identity in order to embrace success as a model. Mm-hmm. Can we talk about that, the decisions that we make around safety? And I even want to expand on the notion of, at least in my personal context here, the safety I mean, there's the immediate safety of, in 2005, when I moved to New York City to pursue a career in fashion, 
I decided to you know, withhold that identity, not share to my professional industry. My model agent did not know I was trans for eight years because the culture did not allow that. There's no space for that. And our, our, my community, particularly trans women in fashion that have, that have paved the way for me, were littered with, littered with stories of you know, trans people that the moment, the moment they got out of their careers in a snap, God, who are you? Thrown into trash as if you did not exist yesterday. It's that, you know, tendency to that, uh, I'd say, um, spiritual violence, what happens when someone experiences that, you know? You know, it's my way to survive, to survive in all aspects of, of wanting to make money, you know, in, 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 a, in this career that I chose and wanting to feel safe that I could be who I am by withholding that to feeling a sense of safety with though limiting to potential you know relationship I'm with I'm not just speaking about like you know romantic partners but like yes it's part of that but also like anyone that I would be in relationship with and doing that for eight years every day of your life this book this book is truly my way of just simply trying to figure out what happened and what I went through because I know maybe when I moved in 2005, yes, I was driven. I was young. I just want to get through it and get to the next thing without realizing how much suffering I was putting myself into of the disillusionment, the paranoia, the mental anguish because I was just so driven and I ignored that other side. And I don't think I'll be able to even like face that journey in that moment. There is no way. So what led me to that and disclosing my trans identity uh, on the, on a, you know, at the TED conference is because I was suffering. I was suffering in all aspects. First, how I see myself. And I think that's, I mean, it, and that branches off to so many different things. So yeah, there was a lot of suffering. Mm. If you're okay with it, let's talk about that for a minute. For those people who haven't read your book yet, you moved to New York to follow your modeling. You made a decision to not disclose yourself, your true self, your trans identity. You were out as a trans person in San Francisco. You had your community there. You write in the book that 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 stealth mode, so stealth mode is not disclosing trans identity. There's probably a better description of it or definition of it than that, but that erasure or that suppression of self in order to achieve safety and success, there was a really big cost to that, as you just alluded to. I almost ask, what does that suffering look like? And then I feel like I'm having my own Jerry Springer moments of like, can we talk about how bad this got? And I no, don't want to. I, I don't want to do that. And I also want to to understand here or to to talk about like the choices that you made to protect yourself mm-hmm. also caused damage. And that is the equation that many people have to run in their heads. Like, mm-hmm. is loneliness the price of safety is suffering the price of safety these are equations that so many people have to run on a daily basis and that has an impact it does um for me what i think in, in this very particular context of you know my life story we're moving to new york city i said i was you know, I, I guess i wanted to do it i knew i wanted to do it but now i look back like why did they even choose because <laughs> i was the industry of my choice was all about being literally visible mm. in covers of magazine, billboards, commercial. And it did that while also at the same, at the same time, how do you consciously become invisible at the same time? You know, so I also just, I, mean, I know you were saying this earlier, but I do want to acknowledge as well, like there's, there's glimpses of, of, playfulness you know when I was doing I was young I was able to you know also have fun explore my sensuality with other men and with other partners so there's also that but because it's also that as part of my existence not as an erasure of this other thing that I have to go through Mm. but more so the loneliness is always present you know sometimes I, I got over it in that moment but that's the constant presence because 
whenever those, you know, glimpses of, of where I found power in my feminine expression when I'm in a lingerie and a music video to, you know, feelings like, oh my God, I did that catalog job. Oh, I did this magazine cover, you know, like it felt, that felt good. I was living the dream of every young, not even a trans person, someone who's from out of nowhere in the Philippines in the little alley to be in New York City and working as a fashion model. Like I was doing it. And those glimpses, as I said, is punctured by that constant layer of loneliness that like that my inner truth could not be fully be accepted here. And it was, it, it was very, very tough. It was very, it's very lonely, you know, when I'm, when I'm in, when I'm sitting down in my, with my thoughts, this book titled Horse Barbie is, you know, I've described it. It's a, it's a spirit. It truly is my, this other spirit that I have to, the only thing I could keep alive. The only thing that when those feelings, when you're so low and you're feeling so lonely, because at the moment, that's what I was feeling. And because of, Obviously, that's as I mentioned. That's like the present, the the big uh, constant presence um, in my journey. The other thing that would come up with that is what I had in the Philippines, which is I was that horse Barbie and that spirit that I carried with me, this vibrant trans person, pageant diva, that was completely seen by my community, the whole trans pageant culture in the Philippines. That's the one thing that sort of, you know, that ember that I had to make sure it stays lit to get to the next thing, to guide me where that light is taking me. You know, that that coexists, but one sometimes is more powerful than the other, but certainly the loneliness part is because I couldn't be constantly or at least just fully express, you know, who I am. But the horse barbie spirit comes up too, you know, and there's um sometimes in my shoulder, sometimes I even, even remember doing a photo shoot. And every time I would I would see like anything horse, I I clearly remember imagining almost like talking to like any imagery that that resembles horse. And I would speak to it. It's almost so surreal. So yeah. Yeah. I mean it's so you know, the the health risks of stealth mode and you wrote about like the the calculations and the editing that you had to do every day and this this idea that like are you really safe if you can't be your true self which is again a conversation for another day but there's something really powerful in that that all of these adjustments that you made for safety all of these safety trades that that part of the process where that ember, that horse Barbie spirit is in there, but it's like those those rain clouds are getting close to this. The the loneliness, the anxiety, the stress, the skin conditions, like all of those things, they're encroaching on this and this ember cannot go out. Right. And I, I yeah. love I love the little intersections of like I'd be on a photo shoot and like fully in this thing over here and then see a horse and be like, oh right, I know who I am. There's so many of that. I mean, you've yeah. you read the book. There, this book is so much great. I mean, I don't even have the word. I mean, like, I just go, I mean, people have said, oh, it's the universe telling you, like, you're connected in this sense. Like, there is so many magical coincidences mm. in this book mm. and in my life and still happens. I, I just think that when I really, when those things happen, I really lean into that, you yeah. know, because it never, I lean into that by acknowledging it. And at the mm-hmm. same time, if there's an opportunity to actually like follow through on that, you know, whether it's a trans encounter with someone that maybe we're doing some projects together. Oh, we're traveling to this because it led to this. Let's go there. Mm-hmm. It had never led me astray so far. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I think there's such a such an encouraging message in there of in the midst of suffering, your true self is speaking. And can you find ways to recognize that? (laughs) (laughs) Wow. (laughs) Yeah. In the context of, you know, what I went through when I was a fashion model, I felt a deep sense of gratitude because so many trans women like me 
never had the chance to take control of their story and they all never had it. So as someone who's also has gone through what they went through in that particular generation, to be able to step on that TED main stage to speak in the biggest speaking platform in the world and claim my my fullness. A lot, a lot of the women that, that came before me never had that chance. So this book is also dedicated to them. I know I alluded to one particular trans model that was really a big trajectory of my of my career, but certainly, you know, there's so many, so many nameless trans women that their stories are passing in communities as they're both also a sense of possibility, but also a sense of caution. So, yeah. That shifting sense of safety was in those stories about that model that you're speaking of too. You wrote that when you were younger, she was not out as a trans person at the height of her career and that as an aspiring model, you were like, that's that's how I need to be. Like she did it. Yeah. She was able to hide that part of herself and then turning into that cautionary tale when she was outed, right? And how quickly that made everything come down, right? So we we also can sort of look at that long arm of things. And you started out this conversation talking about the long, deep history of the Philippines and the, that culture and like the long, deep history of what does safety look like now? And it is certainly not safe for trans people at this time. If we look at that long arc, though, what was safety in her time versus safety in your time? And what safety do you wish for the people who see you out here on this stage, the stage meaning the world and the TED stage? Mm-hmm. But right, like there, I think that we can also take that shifting sense of safety as encouraging news and joyful news in the midst of still currently unfolding suffering. Yeah. The people that knows me, at least, you know, a lot of in, in here in American context of, of media know me as someone who did that TED Talk, right? And that's where at first here in, in America knew me in, in, in the public, right? That that advocate, that, that uh, public speaker. And obviously I'm still that. And people tend to have that expectation of this memoir that I was writing. And I think what I enjoy hearing from people is that those people do who have those expectations of what maybe what I would be writing. They think they, I might be writing, let's support this cause, you know? Yeah. I wanted to fully honor the fullness of my spirit when I, when I decided that I'm going to write this book. And the fullness of, of my truth, the fullness of, you know, what gives me pleasure, what makes me happy, what, what scares me my trials and finding love and joy to, you know, crazy, you know, career possibilities. (laughs) And I think what you were asking, you know, about in this moment we have is that it's one thing I'll say to young trans folks, trans youth, trans people, gender non-conforming people in general, is that live your most unapologetic self. Tell that story in the only way you know and live that life the only way you know while being safe, while, you know, being in community with everybody, because that's really the only way we'll get through this. You mentioned joy in our conversation here, but also when we were talking about your spark and that ember, and in the book, you say, that's the thing about trans joy, it can never be fully extinguished. People can try to narrow the possibilities for our lives and even end them, but our spirits, our spirits will always expand to fill whatever space we are given. We will find the power in us. My God. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, damn, girl, that's like it's so beautiful. <laughs> right. And this this is sort of, you know, we're winding down our time here, but this is sort of what I was getting at when I mentioned earlier about like, I would love it if we didn't have to center gender as a conversation, as a fighting point, and we could just like have some mundane joy. <laughs> like, can we just <laughs> <laughs> it's so I know we're getting really emotional I, obviously it's so emotional I mean like imagine when I was recording that audiobook oh right? my god <laughs> I need a break I need a yeah. 10 minute break it was really there's a lot of tissues but I'd say this I think in the even in that particular like, I can't help but think that I also saw for trans people the humor in that 
because from our perspective, like the deep, 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 deep joy in, in that as the center of that statement of what I shared is that the spirit that really keeps that alive is that the humor around like, we know this and non-trans people, you did this. And this is hilarious that you're making us suffer. But then that joy that we have, I know we're going to keep that alive because it's freaking hilarious. Not in that, you know, forgetting what's, you know, how much suffering it leads to, but certainly it's, it's the humor and in, in that. And I think that also is the other side. I know from a trans lens of people who does not have their lived experience, it's hilarious, you know, that people, it's a big deal for people. Like we know this, you know, and then unfortunately the other side is we suffer because of that. I love that. I love that we're sort of wrapping on joy and flamboyance and ridiculousness as the core the core ember in there, right? It's so easy to organize around pain. You know, I I because I love always being surrounded by community. I love I get together with communities wherever I'm at. We laugh about these things. Yes, you know, when we go outside within our own community, like this is really truly hilarious because and if more people see how, you know, yeah, like, that, do you see space, how ridiculous like, you're being right now? Like, do you see like this is hmm. so, yeah, yeah, I mean, we laugh about it, you know, in our own little space of, of, of transness in our community because, yeah, playful, <laughs> playfulness, playfulness and joy is safety in so many ways. <laughs> All right. We've kind of hinted at this and certainly your book and your talks and the work that you're doing um, politically and socially and collectively in the world are hopeful things. But I'd love to ask you this question anyway, as we wrap to a close here. So knowing what you know, living what you have lived in all of the mul multiplicities of lives you have lived, what does hope look like for you now? In my own context, it's art. It's really doing art. It's it's a pursuit of your artistic expression. I mean, I enjoyed writing this book so much. Um, I know there will be more books, but I'm also directing, and I can't wait to jump into that once I'm finished with my with my book tour. And that's what keeps me. I can't wait to go back to my board where or I don't know what I'm about to write or what I'm about to create or what I'm about to put together. That's joy for me, or I don't know. And the sense of freedom in that pursuit of that artistic expression, whatever that is, you know, through writing, through speech, doing speech to, you know, any that that what gives me hope and that was really joy, you know, where I'm pursuing my artistic expression. Mm. So hope is really internal and personal. That gets reflected, you know, if mm -hmm. I'm in touch with that with that inner sense of that pursuit of that ex arti artistic expression. I'd like to believe that it follows anything that I'm in, whoever in the context of my relationship with my immediate surroundings. Yeah, I love that. That's a really subtle and complex living version of hope, right? Like, I love that. I'm going to think about that for a while, given that I am also in the beginning of writing another book. And sometimes it is a slog and not a creative <laughs> hope and joy. Anyway. We will link to your book and to your TED Talk um, in the show notes. But is there anything else that you would like people to know or ways to find you or ways to connect with you? People have asked me this, like, I'm very active on IG. So if you've been following me, like, it's, that's really where I just, it works for me. I like it the <laughs> That's best, where everything you know? is at. That's where everything is at. So that's, follow me there. Okay. We will put your Insta in the show notes. Mm -hmm. Thank you so much for being here, my friend. Everybody, we'll be back with your questions to carry with you right after this break. Spectrum One is a big deal. You get Spectrum Internet with the most reliable internet speeds, free advanced Wi-Fi for enhanced security and privacy, and a free Spectrum Mobile Unlimited line with nationwide 5G included, all while saving big. For the big speed, big reliability, and big savings you want, get Spectrum One. Just $49.99 a month for 12 months. Visit spectrum.com slash big deal for full details. Offer subject to change. Valid for qualified residential customers only. Service not available in all areas. Restrictions apply. Trinity School of Natural Health can help you be part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry. 
With an education that empowers communities, Trinity grads can change lives by applying natural health principles and techniques in holistic practices or stores selling nourishing health products. Offering 19 online programs that fit your busy schedule, you'll get training to help turn your passion into a career. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. Hi, I'm Cindy Crawford, and I'm the founder of Meaningful Beauty. Well, I don't know about you, but like, I never liked being told, oh, wow, you look so good for your age. Like, why even bother saying that? Why don't you just say you look great at any age, every age? That's what Meaningful Beauty is all about. We create products that make you feel confident in your skin at the age you are now. Meaningful Beauty. Beautiful skin at every age. Learn more at MeaningfulBeauty.com. Each week, I leave you with some questions to carry with you until we meet again. Now, you know what really struck me in this conversation with Gina? Just how complicated and interrelated everything is. How the definition of safety changes as the culture changes, and as more people speak up and share who they are, right? In a way, it's like we start to create more safety as people like Gina take those risks of being seen. It is terrifying to become visible when you're not sure the world is ready. I love that we touched even if just briefly on the protection that privilege gives you sometimes, right? Like the turning point for Gina was recognizing that with her status as a model, with her relative security inside that profession, she could risk coming out and coming out in this massive way on that big TED stage. She did that. She made that specific choice for the people who can't afford to risk being visible. And in doing so, she started to make the world a safer place for everyone. I mean, I I love this. And it relates to so many different things. The more we create places where it is safe to tell the truth of our own experience, the safer the world becomes for the truth of our own experience. And that's just one of many things that I'm taking from this conversation. How about you? What stuck with you? Everybody's going to take something different from today's show, but I do hope you found something to hold on to. If you want to tell me how today's show felt for you or you have thoughts on what we covered, let me know. Tag at Refuge and Grief on all the social platforms so I can hear how this conversation affected you. Another great way to tell me what you think about this episode or what you think about the show in general is to leave a review for the show. You can do that on Apple Podcasts and some of the other platforms too. Reviews are great for me because I get to hear what you're thinking, but they also help encourage other people to listen to the show. Reviews are awesome. You can follow the show at It's OK Pod on TikTok and Refuge and Grief everywhere else to see video clips from today's show. Use the hashtag It's OK Pod on all the platforms so not only I can find you, but others can too. Visibility is important. None of us are entirely okay, and it's time we start talking about that together. Yeah? It's okay that you're not okay. You're in good company. That is it for this week. Everybody, remember to subscribe to the show, leave a review, share it with everybody you know. Coming up next week, Adrian Marie Brown. That is right, everybody. Meme queen, author of Emergent Strategy and Pleasure Activism, will be right here wherever you get your pods. Follow the show on your favorite platform so you do not miss an episode. Want more on these topics? Look, grief is everywhere. As my dad says, daily life is full of everyday grief that we don't call grief. Learning how to talk about all of that, learning how to create safe places where we can tell the truth about our own experience, that is an important skill set for everyone to learn. Get help to have those conversations with trainings, professional resources, and my best-selling book, It's Okay That You're Not Okay, plus the guided journal for grief at megandevine.co. It's Okay That You're Not Okay, the podcast is written and produced by me, Megan Devine. Executive producer is Amy Brown, co-produced by Elizabeth Fazio, logistical and social media support from Micah, post-production and editing by Houston Tilly. Our intern this season is Hannah Goldman, Music provided by Wave Crush and background noise provided by The Mockingbird, endlessly singing on the roof 
all day and all night. There's no distance too far for the perfect trip. Hi, checking in for... Or the perfect table. Hey, where are you? Coming! And when you get access to Resi Priority Notify with your Amex Platinum card... Hey, this looks amazing. I'm so glad you made it. And travel benefits at fine hotels and resorts booked through Amex Travel. It's worth the trip. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. This is Amy Brown from Four Things with Amy Brown. Today, Healthier is happening at CVS Health in more ways than you've ever seen. It's wellness destinations for seniors, including select locations with Oak Street Health and CVS Pharmacy. It's doctors, nurses, pharmacists, and everyone in between offering quality care and support virtually, in person, and on the phone. It's in-home evaluations through Signify Health and meeting mental health needs through Aetna. And those are just a few of the ways that Healthier is happening. To see more, visit cvshealth.com slash healthier happens together. CVS Pharmacy, Oak Street Health, CVS Specialty, Signify Health, and Aetna are part of CVS Health. Eligibility and services vary by location and individual. Trinity School of Natural Health can help you be part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry. With an education that empowers communities, Trinity grads can change lives by applying natural health principles and techniques in holistic practices or stores selling nourishing health products. Offering 19 online programs that fit your busy schedule, you'll get training to help turn your passion into a career. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org.